Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Technology Transfer IP. Typically, at this point in the podcast, I'm introducing my guest and describing his or her professional background, as well as education. But today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. In this episode, we're going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in tech transfer, but from the unique and very personal perspective of Dr. Natalie Cozier. So with that, I'm going to turn things over to Natalie. Natalie? Thank you, Lisa. Why am I here today? In the words of my favorite authors, including Audre Lorde, when I dare to be powerful, to use my strength in the service of my vision, then it becomes less important whether or not I am afraid. I am Dr. Natalie Cozier, Bachelor of Science, Honours, PhD, member of the Royal Society of Chemistry, and today I am here to give you a personal perspective. I am confident. I am a woman. I am a sports fanatic. I may be a descendant of kings and queens, but may never know for sure, as I am also a descendant of slaves. I am love. I am innovative. I am powerful. I worry about those who came before me, those who still endure, those who will come after me, and the long-lasting effects of systemic daily injustices to myself and those in my community. I am intelligent. I wear a heavy crown. I am resilient. I am a child born from those of the Windrush generation and my family endured inhumane treatment to give me an opportunity in life that everyone should have at birth. I am a doctor. I am unapologetic. I am a scientist. I have been a researcher, executive, senior manager and consultant in the public and private sectors. But I have been told that by some that I don't belong. My contribution is often not valued, and once in a 20-year career has another person stepped in and acted when they saw I was being targeted with negative behaviours. I have doubt. I am fragile. My spirit is weary. I have questioned why I've put myself through this and wondered if I am just a token and that many junctions along the road have wanted to give up when faced with barriers and very real glass ceilings. I have been racially abused, objectified, bullied and harassed. I often change my style to accommodate others out of fear of being seen as the angry black woman, even if I am in the right or have been unjustly treated, although not so much anymore. 
I'm still learning every day how to remain open and positive in a society and workplace that sometimes feels like it does not want me in it. My life experience is unique, complex, and some may say, under constant physical and perceived psychological threat, simply for being me. I am black. I am all of these things and more. But these things don't define me. Why am I here today? I passionately believe in the power of research and innovation and technology transfer to change lives, all lives, because research, innovation and technology transfer changed my own. But we should absolutely acknowledge we all have our own biases of familiar and safe and unknown and scary formed through our life experiences. I was lucky enough to have the right encouragement and support when I started out, but not everybody has the same luck. It's just a matter of fact that if you don't see other people who look like you in everyday work and education, this becomes an unconscious blinker that inhibits those who could be future researchers, technology transfer professionals, and their ability to get involved. We all have a natural tendency to show anger, fear, or disgust to keep us away from things we do not understand. So the key question today is, how do we get more people who look like me involved in technology transfer? How do we become an agent of acceptance and change through our behavior? How do we expand on existing programs and improve access, continuation and success inside and outside technology transfer offices and institutions for black and ethnically diverse groups. There just needs to be more of us. As a society without black leaders and researchers does not bear thinking about. Wow, Natalie, thank you so much for sharing your deeply personal story and background. Listening to your journey, I, I want to ask you, what kept you going, not only in terms of getting your PhD, but also during your time in tech transfer? My passion. It's where I get to feel creative and realize my beliefs in ensuring the public gets benefit from the research, research that is done inside the ivory towers that are universities. Uh, for me, especially for those who come from Bristol, um, some of you may be aware of, of Bristol following the Edward Colston uh, instance in, in last year. We very much uh, believe as a, as a city in social justice, and I very much grew up with that as a, as a belief in what we should be doing as individuals in support of society. Natalie, can you share with us some of your positive experience that you've had during your career journey, including some of the mentors or others who guided and helped you along the way? I, I would say I've had very much great and good times um, in my career journey. I've also had some really rough and tough times. Um, but the times that I really, really treasure are when I first started out um, working with my, my supervisor and my academic leads, who was who is Sir Martin Polyakov at the University of Nottingham. It's there where I really found my footing and, and my belief in myself within the sector. Um, Martin is a, a white male of Jewish background, and I very much felt heard and seen in working with Martin. Um, he saw 
what I could bring as an individual. He saw what in my capabilities and my potential. And he encouraged that and and pushed me along at each point. Um, and he continues to be someone who I seek counsel from to this day. Um, in terms of, of mentorship, I would have to say, honestly, um, I've not really had a mentor um, throughout my career. I've had people who I've sought advice from and who I've taken counsel from in terms of opportunities. But largely, I, I feel I've, I've driven my own career in terms of progression. Um, and things that I, I massively enjoyed is is sometimes um, some of the, the partnerships that I've, I've negotiated and worked with academics on in, in, in the past, um, speaking in front of 400 people at a conference in South Africa early on and, and talking about the, the commercialization of my work and the research that I was doing, meeting different organizations like SASOL and individuals there and Johnson Johnson, uh, Johnson Maffey and working with those individuals and, and progressing it and seeing how they were excited um, about working with me and, and, and likewise um, seeing other people progress after supporting them. I think those are moments where I've, I've really, really appreciated the benefit of, of mentoring in terms of on the other side and, and talking with people and helping them and support them developing their, those, their careers and just great team moments. Those times when you realize the strategies that you've developed and they've actually progressed or license dollars come off those small moments and those, those small victories have been really enjoyable over the years. And it's, and it's also been uh, really, really great in, in, being able to communicate that with my family and seeing the pride that they have in me progressing in my career. They have no idea what I do, by the way. They don't <laughs> understand what I do at all. Yeah, I can understand. <laughs> I'm a patent attorney and my family has no <laughs> clue what I do at all either. So I, I can relate to that. Yeah. and But like seeing them nod appreciately, even though they don't, they glaze over, but they do nod um, and smile when I, when I, take on new positions or I explain who I'm working with, you know, I have great pride in, in those moments and, and what they felt like and, and progressing across the years. Well, I also wanted to ask you, Natalie, what do you think some of the problems are with respect to equity, diversity and inclusion in the UK? I think it's down to exclusion. And I think there are, there are many who say there's an underrepresentation of of ethnically diverse groups. There are those who say there's a pipeline issue, and I don't necessarily think that's that's the case. I think it is exclusion through passive or active means. I think within the research sector in the in the UK overall. The sector itself is driven by competition, how grants are won, how partnerships are, are driven and rewarded within the sector to positions that individuals achieve. It's all driven by competition. And that competition at times drives negative behaviors and often means that those who are different um, and being a black woman, I visibly, visibly am different are 
targeted at some points for differential behaviors treated differently and I think it's just a, an abnormal symptom of of the the system itself uh, you you mentioned exclusion with respect to race what about um are you seeing issues with respect to gender religion or is it kind of kind of a mix there or, or mainly just racial exclusion uh i think it's across the board gender religion uh disability uh age but what i would say is it's more pronounced in race when you look at all the different groups those are the that's consistently been the the selected group where progress hasn't been made across decades and the existence of research and the funding of the government the government funding research across the UK and um, pump priming uh, the activity and trying to address the commercialization goals of what we want to achieve. And I think that's a really good segue. I mean, I take it from your comments, then you would say that the UK government really isn't doing enough in this area and hasn't been doing enough for quite some time. Yes. And why do you think that is? And why do you think it's going so slowly to affect any change or, or even get the, the UK government to move a little bit faster? Uh, I think that it's, it's such a complex area. But I, I would point to two things. One would be data. Data seems to be uh, uh, something that comes up quite a lot and understand it, not to the respect of data in terms of identifying the different types of people, but being able to to use that data to categorically say, this is how this population is being affected by this activity. So before, I could have told you 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that there aren't really any black uh, researchers. There's not that many in the in the UK. So I could have told you, for example, that uh, UK Research and Innovation in its 8,000 uh, numbers of staff, there was only less than five uh, black senior members of staff or directors. Nominally, I could have told you that. Um, I could, others could have told you about um, white individuals uh, applying to uh, 4 billion worth of funding in the last funding round and had a success rate of 42%, whereas black individuals uh, applied for £82 million and had a success rate of 8%. And in terms of actual numbers of the research fellows that have been funded, which a large proportion of the pool of uh, entrepreneurs are driven from in terms of the UK sector, there were over 1,500 individuals who were identified as, as white. And of that there were less than five black fellows who were awarded funding. And I could go on. <laughs> yeah, I bet I, you could. Yeah. I could go on. I could talk about the number of PhD students and the fact that, you know, out of thousands of PhD students funded in the last uh, five-year period um, by multiple funders, only 30, so I'm talking about tens of thousands here, only 30 come from a black Caribbean background. So uh, these are things that when you are one of those individuals who look different, who who are not the majority within the system, you know it because you see it every day. But the, the lack of data has been, I think, something that has compounded the issue and it has 
almost justified the the lack of action because it's not physically there in the numbers to see. But now it's getting there. So I'm hoping there'll be progress um, going forward. Um, in addition to that, I think there's just a lack of support. If I think about the opportunities that of those I've worked with in terms of researchers, in terms of entrepreneurs and individuals I've supported myself during my career, um, and how many of those were black and how many of those were Asian, how many of those were disabled, how many of those uh, were of a particular age. You know, the numbers start repeating itself <laughs> in the respect of, of proportionality and representation. Um, you don't see that many. So you, you have to think about why people not be getting involved and the support they're getting. And because I had such a good experience when I started and at different points in my career, I very much recognize some of the things that work well and, and go well when you really are part of a diverse uh, research group, when you're really part of a, a university or an institution that actually is more um, diverse and reflects society, society a bit more. You know, you do notice the difference going from from like an invite one environment for one type of institution who's based in in a geographic area where there's uh, a mixture of demographics of people versus working um somewhere else even even parts of london where i've worked in london also and in terms of the student population uh, where i worked there was loads absolutely loads of black and asian students in terms of the staff not so much so, Natalie, I wanted to ask you, given that, how are tech transfer offices in the UK dealing or perhaps not dealing with EDI issues? I don't think they're dealing with it well, <laughs> if at all. I think given the situation with the pandemic, um, we can't just return to where we were before. And we need to build our communities and the economy and technology for the better and for all to thrive. And in terms of EDI and the instances in terms of really overt situations of aggression and harassment and using derogative words, but also in terms of not giving people the opportunities, the lack of effort in terms of supporting people, recognizing that they come from a different background, um, even in the respect of, if I take an example, in the UK at the moment, you often get researchers and academics who go into industry. You may not get that many who come from industry, as in businesses, um, but go into academia. And that transfer of, of that, those pathways are not so common. And I think how we are dealing with that. So it raises a number of questions for me. You know, where is this coming from? When there are instances of hate, where does this level of hate come from? For the life of me, I don't understand it. And and no one I talk to who's black, brown or white um, seems to, to be able to give me an explanation as to why there's such apathy or lack of action towards really developing actions towards equality, diversity, inclusion. And I think the lack of conversation the lack of empathy, the lack of willingness to have those uncomfortable conversations 
doesn't help move the needle forward to creating anti-racist workplaces. So, Natalie, we've been talking about EDI issues with respect to tech transfer offices, but I'm curious, I'm assuming that there are similar issues when we come to talk about traditionally underrepresented inventors and entrepreneurs as well. Yeah, so so I I think in terms of numbers and and what I raised previously about the examples of working with with entrepreneurs who who may be of a a group that's not represented as much, I think there's some complacency and almost arrogance and ignorance at times about why those individuals are not engaged or involved in the area. I don't see many in working in institutions, in research organizations, and the work that I've done with businesses, um, I do not see many entrepreneurs or inventors coming forward or being supported. It's very rare. I've seen it in the in the clinical field in relation to medical research and, and those clinicians who, who are part of the NHS and also part of universities. But aside from that, I, I, I've, I've rarely seen it um, happen. And I think there's a sense sometimes that working in higher education, that you're working with bright and clever people and therefore there's no discrimination and that you know, everyone has an opportunity to develop, I don't think that's the case. And I think there's a, a level of fear sometimes and understanding of what's going on at each level of seniority and, and opportunity within institutions. And I think there's an issue around that. So, Natalie, looking back at your professional career and everything that you've talked about so far in this podcast, and if you were given the one-time chance to do it all over again, I think I want to know, would you or would you hit that reset button? I would reset, and I'll explain why. I would reset because I think I would tell my younger self to trust in, in your ability to progress the commercialization opportunity that you're working on. And I think I would reset myself to to be more open and assertive in pushing for more opportunities. I think at times I've been hesitant in and fearful almost also in thinking that that was something that I could do. So I would reset. Well, Natalie, I want to close the podcast by asking you, what would be your top three action items or policies to improve equity, diversity, and inclusion in tech transfer? Priority action number one would be have those difficult conversations. I think that needs to happen in technology transfer. My family and I have had to deal with difficult situations for generations. And I would like to see technology transfer offices get more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Too many aren't discussing race and racism. And it seems that they're afraid of the discomfort. So avoid having the conversation and making any changes to policies, procedures and practices that they they may have. Um, When I look at representation, when I literally look at the boards, when I look at who's in the senior positions, I don't see anybody who looks like me. There was a period in my time of, of my career where I worked with someone, um, Sharon Spencer, who who had reached a director position, and I was a, a, 
associate director and executive at the same time. And it felt like that was something that was really a possibility. That was when, you know, we're coming close to, to four years from that period of time. And it feels like things have gone backwards. So priority action number one would be having those difficult conversations, recognizing that sometimes for those people who who look different, act different, think different, it's not always a comfortable situation for them to be part of the community. And so therefore, I challenge the community to, to reflect on that in terms of how they're bringing the next generation on board. Well, Natalie, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. This has been a very insightful and powerful discussion on an extremely important topic. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Sure. They can send me an email at verycozybricks at gmail.com or contact me on LinkedIn. Great. Well, thank you so much again, Natalie. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and align on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.